Yeah. Well, so we were founded in 2015. Um, we did the first box-free in-person return to a happier trends location in April of 2016. Um, and to kind of put this in historical context, uh, Amazon and Kohl's, the, their partnership, which really kind of opened the door to this idea that we invented, um, that that launched 18 months later. So, you know, April yeah, April 2016 was happier turns, and then it wasn't until the fall of 2017 that the Amazon Kohl's partnership was announced. Retail Unwrapped is a weekly podcast hosted by Robin Lewis and Shelley Cohan from The Robin Report. Each episode dives into the latest trends and developments in the retail industry. Join them as they discuss interesting topics and interview industry leaders, keeping you in the loop with everything retail. Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, along with my podcast partner, Shelley Cohan. Today, we have a big welcome uh, for David Sobey, who is the CEO of Happy Returns. And I am so glad that we don't have to look at an acronym here. <laughs> the, the, the term Happy Returns. Seems to be an oxymoron, though, uh, for customers. Uh, but that is exactly why, uh, David, you co-founded the company, right? It's it's it, so it's great to have you here, and we want to hear all about um, all about Happy Returns. Well, thank you for having me, Robin. Thank you for having me, Shelley. Uh, it's mm-hmm. good to be here. And um, yeah, that's the whole idea behind our business: is how do we take the the worst part of shopping online? And turn it into something delightful for for shoppers, yeah, merchants, and for the planet. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, returns are not only a hassle for the customer, but they are a tremendous issue for retailers. And you know, I'm I get around a lot, talk to a lot of C level people, and um, this, and it's also been exasperated by the growth of online sales. I mean, the cost of returns is skyrocketing and impacting the bottom line of, of, of all retailers, really. So, you know, and right now uh, we are in the thick of peak season for returns, right? Coming That's out right. of the, ho- yeah, coming out of the holiday. And um, uh, last year returns uh, we found were $816 billion. I mean, that's with wow. a B. And, and yeah, at a rate of, by the way, 16.5% of sales. And um, in the holiday of 2022, returns were 18% of sales. So anyway, before we jump into the, the returns and, and what happy returns are doing uh, to mitigate uh, many of, of, of the issues around returns, um, you know, let's start, David, by you're telling the why behind happy returns you know why was the company uh, you co-founded yeah yeah so the the story of happy returns actually starts um a little over a decade ago uh i was living here in los angeles and i was working for a flash sale retailer uh called hot look and uh, i don't know if yes. you remember flash sales but it was a, a little bit of a fad uh business model um, you know, limited time sales, highly discounted, uh, behind the firewall of an email address. Subscribed to Hotlook's email uh, 
and then you got every day you would get an email that said this is what's on sale and highly discounted uh, short duration sales, like 48 to 72 hours. But while I was there, I met my co-founder, Mark Geller. And if you know the Hotlook story, we ended up getting acquired by Nordstrom. Um, and we were we were an online-only flash sale business and were acquired by Nordstrom. And, and we became kind of the nucleus of their online off-price. So they had you know Nordstrom stores for full-line retail, Nordstrom.com. Uh, they had Nordstrom Rack, which was their their physical retail for discount, but there was no NordstromRack.com yet. And so Hotlook became kind of the nucleus, what eventually would, would morph into uh, NordstromRack.com, which today is a multi-billion dollar business for them. But so after they acquired us, one of the programs that we worked on was letting Hotlook shoppers buy online because we were a pure play e-commerce business. So you could buy it on Hotlook and then return products to Nordstrom Rack stores. And it was the insights that Mark and I gained working on that program that led to founding the company. And in really, in really simple terms, it was, you know, if you give online shoppers the choice, you know, return via mail or return in person to a store, they overwhelmingly prefer to return in person. Um, why? Because it eliminates the hassle factor. You know, you'd have to print a label or find a box, tape anything. Um, you don't have to go to a carrier to drop the item off. And, and most importantly, you don't have to wait to get your money back. You know, a lot more satisfying to just hand your item to someone and have the have the return happen right there. And so we founded the company with this really simple insight, which was, gosh, if it worked so well for Hotlook customers returning to Nordstrom Rack stores, can we replicate this case study that, that we just observed? And so when we went out to raise money, our pitch was really simple. It was like, hey, we're the guys that built the return to rack program. Um, we want to enable buy online return to store for retailers without stores. Right, all the hot looks out there that didn't have a parent company like Nordstrom uh, to accept their returns, and, and so that was the, re the real sort of simple premise was, you know, we solve the problem for shoppers. On the other side of the model, you know, Nordstrom Rack loved the program. Um, the reason they loved the program is that they had millions of hot look shoppers now walking in the door to do returns, um, and it was a very very easy conversation for a Nordstrom Rack sales associate to say. You know, hey Robin, I see you're here returning a pair of jeans. You know, let let's let's get that whole look return done, and then let's walk over to the denim section and see if we can find a pair that you like. Right? It was it was a very easy for Nordstrom Rack sales associates to to convert whole look shoppers into a transaction in the store. And and Mark and I thought, well, gosh, you know, physical retail is is being disintermediated. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have a service that would serve both parties? You know, it would be it would be good for the online retailers and for their shoppers. It would drive their shoppers into physical retail where they could they could do the return and, and potentially make a purchase, um, and everybody could win in the transaction. And so that was really the the genesis of, of Happy Returns as a business. It's such a great story and inspiration yeah, really behind is. the brand. I mean, honestly, I love how you know you lived it, so you built it. And uh, you and I have known each other for for years, and I've been watching your company grow and pivot. And I remember one of the first conversations we had was about how returns shouldn't be an art and craft project at home for customers trying to find tape in a box and packing this and trying to print a label right. and on and on and on. And uh, But it's been a long journey for you. I, I think it'd be great if you could tell our listeners, you know, tell us about this journey from what you just described to now being one of the, you know, largest return options that uh, retailers have. Yeah, well, so we were founded in 2015. Um, we did the first 
box free in person return to a happier trans location in April of 2016. Um, and to kind of put this in historical context, uh, Amazon and Kohl's, the, their partnership, which really kind of opened the door to this idea that we invented, um, that that launched 18 months later. So you know they April, copied you. Yeah, April 2016 <laughs> was happier turns, and then it wasn't until the fall of 2017 that the Amazon Kohl's partnership was announced. Um, but that was a really important moment in the history of the, of the company because it was kind of an acknowledgement by some of the best minds in retail that, hey, you know, there might be a better way to do this. Yep. And and that partnership got a ton of press, uh, ended up being great for us because, you know, the folks at Amazon had the same insights that we did, right? And, and that was, if you, and again, this is one of those counterintuitive points about our business, right? Because a lot of retailers I talked to in the early days would say, wait, you want me to make returns easy? Well, that seems like, isn't that going to be costly for me? Isn't that going to be, and, and it's like, no, if you make returns easy, shoppers will reward you by shopping, more, right? If you make them hard, people <laughs> will come back and, and purchase again. Common and, sense. Yeah. yeah. And so, so now you have, you know, the, the best retailer in the business, which is trying to make returns easy for their shoppers. Um, the other insight that we had that Amazon certainly had as well is that you know, in, in logistics, people talk a lot about the cost of the last mile, right? Getting it yes. to someone's house. Returns is reverse logistics. And, and so in returns, it's the cost of the, the first mile, right? Getting the item from the shopper injected into a logistics network to bring it back. What we realized was if you give people a better experience, you give shoppers a better experience to drop it off box-free and avoid that arts and crafts project that Shelly talked about, well, now you've gotten the first mile free. And now you can aggregate items together before you ship them and drive down the, the actual cost per unit of shipping, right? Because if you think about like, you know, the cost of, of 21 pound boxes, like the, like the shirt I'm wearing is probably a pound, right? If, if you had 21 pound boxes traveling across the country, um, it's 85% more expensive than if you had one 20 pound box. And if you, if you combine all, all 20 shirts into one box. And so, Happy returns, you know, that's the principle that we're founded on in terms of helping save money for our shoppers is just the simple physics of aggregation, right? Multiple items in the box rather than individual shipments are far, far more cost effective for the merchant uh, if, if things are aggregated before shipment. So, so the Amazon Kohl's partnership was a, a really big milestone for us. Um, you know, we were we were venture funded. So, you know, to kind of continue on in the journey, we were able to raise some more money, able to get, you know, more merchants. Uh, able to grow the return bar network. It was a little bit like a, a chicken and egg problem. Um, you know, you, you have to have a lot of drop-off points for the merchants to take you seriously. You have to have a lot of merchants and a lot of volume for the drop-off points uh, to be to have enough um, shoppers walking in the door to make it worth their time. So it was a little bit chicken and egg. Um, then COVID hit. Uh, right. And, and our business sort of fell off a cliff because it was based on in-person interactions and many of the places where uh, people were returning uh, just closed their doors, right? We were in a lot of shopping malls at that point. Um, we were in a lot of, we were in um, a, car, a, a card and paper store called Paper Source uh, oh, you know, yeah. that was closed during the pandemic. Um, but then, you know, during COVID, online shopping really took off. And as you pointed out, you know, early in the segment, Robin, you know, shopping online has return rates three to four times higher than brick and mortar shopping. Why? Because you can 
touch something, you can try it on, you know, before you buy it. Um, and so with this rise of e-commerce, you know, came this massive tsunami of returns and we were well positioned as the, the world started to open up again post-COVID uh, to accept that. And so our business re really sort of took off again. It went from, you know, we were up into the right, then off a cliff with COVID, then back up at a far steeper pace. Um, we went out to raise money again in, in the winter of 2021. Um, so right around the time the first vaccines were coming out. Mm. Um, and, and that process led to uh, the company being acquired. Uh, we ended up getting acquired by PayPal. So then kind of June of 2021 until uh, October 2023, we were part of PayPal. And, and that was a great experience. It was, it was wonderful to, to be part of a large organization that you know, plans on, you know, kind of multi-year time horizon, not multi-quarter. Um, <laughs> right, they, right. They, they, PayPal really knows how to think at scale and, and really encouraged us to, to think at scale and to think about how we serve like the largest enterprises. Um, certainly helped from a sales perspective, you know, to be happier turns uh, a PayPal company because it meant we were part of the landscape. Um, and so we, we grew tremendously in the time that we were with PayPal. Um, like, like our revenue grew like 10 X wow. when we were there. And, um, and then as 2023, uh, was starting and we were kind of budgeting, um, you know, we had some, I think really healthy conversations with, with PayPal about is happy returns, the right long-term home. Um, you know, PayPal had a lot of, uh, competitive dynamic, uh, in payments and was really, you know, trying to focus in on its core business. And while we were part of the vision, I think we recognized we were probably adjacent to the core of PayPal. And so, you know, that conversation led to a dialogue with uh, a, a number of different groups, uh, one of which was UPS. And then that culminated in, in the divestiture, uh, PayPal divested Happy Returns to UPS. Uh, it was announced in October of 23. And then, uh, you know, was, was the deal was completed in November of 2023. Um, so and I've been part of the UPS for a little over three months. And um, and it's going great. So they're good partners for you, and they probably have deep pockets that can invest in uh, more scale. I guess it's very interesting that whole industry, uh, payments industry. But you know, so so technology obviously has been extremely helpful as more and more retailers try to reduce returns uh, through the pre-purchase phase of the shopper journey. So if retailers and brands can determine better sizing information, for example, and product descriptions through uh, the use of AI or machine learning, then customers can obviously make better purchasing decisions, right? Well, that's that's always been the premise, right? Or that's been the dream. Um, you know, it's, I've been in retail for uh, to be 20 years uh, in June since I graduated uh, with my MBA and that whole time <laughs> been in, uh, in retail. And there's always been something on the horizon which is going to try to solve this problem. Um, so there's been, you know, simple ideas like better descriptions, um, you know, model stats. You know, you, you see a model and it'll say, you know, the model is this tall and weighs this much and is wearing a medium, right? To try to give you a sense or, or reviews, uh, which can often be very helpful. You know, hey, I bought this pair of shoes and they run, they run slightly big, right? Um, video. You know, was 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 a big promising technology, um, augmented reality or virtual reality kind of fitting rooms, 
you know, fit different fit technologies. Um, I do believe all that has helped. At the same time, though, you know what's 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 happened is that supply chains have really become global, mm. and the yep. impact of that is that, you know, uh, 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 like I'm a I'm a men's ten in in uh, in shoes, but if you went to my closet upstairs, you'd probably find you know some nine and a halfs, some tens, some ten and a halfs. Yeah, uh, even with the same brand, right? Like there's there's one <laughs> brand that I've worn for years, and depending on the on the actual skew, I might get a nine and a half or a 10, right? Why is that? It, well, it's, it's that products are now made all over the world. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, a, a, a 10, you know, in a, in, a, in a shoe factory in, in Milan might be totally different than a 10 manufactured uh, in, in Vietnam or in yep. Mexico or in the US, right? And, and so a 10 is not a 10 is not a 10. Um, right. You know, and and then the other Crazy. piece, which I think is is kind of working against benefit, is you know the 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 rise of fast fashion and the sort of rapid introduction oh, yes. of you know, hey, this style or this uh, trend, and so let's get the product in the market as soon as we can. Maybe yeah. cutting some corners on fit, right? Um, Quality fit. <laughs> yeah, and 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 so where you know what I think in the past, you know, products were maybe made. The last longer longer cycles, people would really hone in on the fit. Now it's like let's just you know continually introduce something new uh, to satiate consumer demand, and and so so you know I, I don't know that there's a whole I don't know that there's a single silver bullet to solve the problem upstream. Uh, as you point out, you know AI and, and machine learning certainly have promise. Yeah, but I think you know for those. To really work well, you kind of have to have re repeated you know, big data sets and then repeated um, pr problem solving. It's hard when the products are changing so rapidly for those to have an impact. So, you know, we'll see. Um, but like I said, in 20 years in retail, there's always been something which is going to eliminate returns and it hasn't happened so far. Yeah, I don't think anything's going to eliminate returns. Um, but let's kind of talk about the top reasons why products are returned. One is, you know, 81%, this is a survey done by Power Reviews, 81% of returns for online shoppers are returned because they're damaged or defective. So we'll set those aside because that's clearly, Mike goes back to what you said, David, about the quality control, the, yeah. you know, the, but 75% of returns are returned because they don't fit right. And so... The fit, and then uh, fifty-six percent of returns are because they don't match the description. So if you could, if if retailers could just focus on that pre-purchase of fit and matching descriptions alone, that would probably solve some of the problem. It's never going to be like all of the problem. And when we were at NRF, we saw some artificial intelligence, you know, conversational commerce tools that might help with that. Um, but Anything else that you're seeing in terms of pre-purchase solutions? Yeah. Well, so one that it's just so so simple, but you know, like the naming of colors. Oh. <laughs> like, like just tell me it's gray. You know, like think about all the variations. That's so funny. Gray, right? There's you yeah. know, charcoal and heather, this and slate. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, oh my just, God. Yeah. Or, and, and oftentimes huh? we're shopping on our phones, right? And so it's like it's hard to even see let alone, you know, distinguish between dark gray and light gray. Um, so one really simple thought I've always suggested to merchants is just use colors that are, that, 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 you know, mean what you 
are describing as opposed to, you know, something that maybe sounds good from a marketing perspective. Um, you know, on the, on the fit one, I think the, the challenge with fit, you know, I, I talked about some of the, the, um, kind of root causes. I, I think another challenge there is that shoppers have, have really adapted the way they shop because of fit challenges. And so there's this term bracketing. Oh yes. Oh yeah. You know, like, Hey, I'm buying this shoe brand for the first time. I, I just had this the other day, by the way. Um, <laughs> I never owned their shoes. I read online that they run a little, a little large. So instead of buying just the 10, I bought the nine and a half and the 10 and figured I would try them on at home. You know, normally I'm a 10. Turns out I ended up keeping the nine and a half and returning the 10. And so that's an example where you're, you're bracketing, meaning buying multiple sizes. Yeah. You might buy multiple colors, right? And, and this idea that like, I know it, I know it's really hard to get it right when I'm shopping online. And so I, I overcompensate and I maybe buy more, um, you know, than, than I intend to keep. Well, I here here's something just I have to add this in about bracketing because here's another problem and bracketing yeah. although we think it's going to get better David I think it's going to get worse. I agree. So I have a good friend of mine who's the mother <laughs> of the groom looking for a dress and she goes into all these stores and because stores have pulled back on their SKU assortments so they don't have her sizes in stock. So what is she what do you think she's doing David? She's, I, she's going online and saying, I like the style. I know you don't have it. So I'm going to go. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I'm going to get three sizes of it. So yeah. I, I think bracketing's. I think bracketing is not a show. I think it's going to be a continued problem. What, you know, I, I do as well. And I, yeah. I, I, I don't see that one getting, getting better. And part of it is like, it's, it's, it's really hard to change consumer behavior, you know? And I think what, consumers have adapted to shopping online and saying, okay, I know it's hard for you to get it right. I know it's hard to describe it perfectly. I understand that everything looks good on the model and it might not look good on me at home. And so I have to cut, like I said earlier, I, I overcompensate, uh, you know, by buying multiple sizes. There have been numerous attempts over the last half a century uh, for to arrive at some universal sizing across all <laughs> apparel brands, right? Well, you know where that ended up. In somebody's waste back basket. I mean, it, it, forget it. It's it, it'll 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 never come together. And globally, it, as you're pointing out, it makes it worse. So the, now on the other side, uh, another trend that that we've been seeing is that retailers are they're starting to put more rules and you know restrictions around returns, such as charging for returns, shortening um, return time frames. Or telling customers uh, they have to return in store, which, of course, as you pointed out, Nordstrom was great. Um, you get them back in the store. Of course, uh, you know, this strategy of putting the burden on the customer has got to uh, hurt the relationship, right? It's just going to uh, between the brand and the and the and the customer. So, so David, how how can retailers make returns a positive interaction with? They're customers. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think you're, the trends that you highlighted are all accurate, right? We're seeing yeah. more fees. We're seeing a lot more structure. Um, so I, I would say that, you know, it starts really with uh, information. Um, there's a great stat. It's like 80 plus percent of shoppers will read a retailer's return policy before they check out. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think it's really important at the beginning of the relationship, if you will, right, to be very clear about, uh, you know, what is the process going to be if you need to return it? Yep. What fees are associated with it? 
Um, because the, the worst is when you feel duped, right? When you go yeah. to return something and there's a fee and you didn't realize it. Oh yeah. And and so I think like you know, number one, to build a great relationship starts with just you know clear communication of the expectations. I will say with regard to fees, um, sure they're a turnoff, but I think consumers are pretty rational. I think people understand, like um, like Shelly in your example, you know, if, I, if I'm gonna buy four dresses, the intention of keeping one, like there's a real cost associated with shipping the other three back. And so I think I think shoppers are okay with those as long as they're communicated clearly. Um, what we're seeing with with return fees is that the most forward thinking merchants are using them um, really thoughtfully. So so not just a blanket fee, but you know kind of carrots and sticks, if you will, right? So an example of a carrot might be, um, you know, hey, if you're if you're if you're willing to take an exchange, or you're willing to take your refund in the form of store credit rather than you know, refund a credit card, I'll waive the return fees for you, right? Mm. Um, you know, or, uh, you know, we see this often, um, and this could be like a stick. If, if, if you want to return via the mail, uh, mm. there's a fee. But if you want to return it to my store or you want to return it to Happy Returns, that'll be the free method. Um, why is the merchant doing that? Well, you know, free means subsidized. And so yeah. what they're doing is they're 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 creating a stick to say, you know, if I have to, if I have to subsidize me the merchant, if I have to subsidize this return, I'm going to subsidize the one which is the least expensive for me, mm. right? So I'm yeah. going to create a, a stick to say, if you pick the mail, it's you know it's almost impossible for me to get any economies of scale when you're when you're shipping a single item back. So I'm going to charge a fee for that one, but I'm going to make it free if you return it uh, to happy returns. Why? Because that's far cheaper for me than me, right? And um, and so we you know we see this kind of application of return fees. Um, again, most forward-thinking merchants are doing it very thoughtfully to try to drive the right behavior uh, from their shoppers. And, and so I think that I think that's you know that that's another piece of it is um trying to be again, I think I think shoppers are rational. I think they understand their costs for the merchant. I think they're okay with them as long as they're clearly communicated and and it makes sense um, how they're being applied. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, returns have to be easy. Yeah. They have to be hassle-free. I know some retailers are even using their loyalty program as the what you would call, David, a carrot. Mm. You know, if you're part of the loyalty program, you don't have to pay. And so they're getting data and information on that. So um Yeah, and, and I think you're I think you're gonna see a lot more of that, right? Is <laughs> hey, you're you know, because ultimately, if they could if if every interaction the merchant knew your lifetime value as a shopper. Right. They might say, well, gosh, you know, Robin has been a loyal customer for years. You know, we know he's got he's a high lifetime value. We're willing to waive the fee for his returns. David, we just met David. We don't know David, right? Or 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 it might be, you know, the other way where you say, gosh, first time shopper, I, I'm willing to, to pay for it the first sure. time because you're, you know, you're trying the product, right? But 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 if but if they knew that, you know, here's here's another extreme example. Like showrooming, which is, I think, a oh, huge yeah. challenge for merchants, right? I, I buy things, I, I put them on, I take a picture of myself, and then I, I send it back. Um, you know, if, oh, if they yeah. knew that, that that was your behavior, and they, they could see that in your lifetime value, that, man, you buy a lot, but you return most of it, you don't <laughs> keep anything, um, they might assess a fee to try to right. discourage you from doing that, right? 
That's right. Yeah. So I, I want to go back to, uh, I, I was very excited when I heard UPS had acquired Happy Returns. I just, it, to me, my brain just went, oh my God, that's a home run, you know, <laughs> reverse logistics. And oh boy. it just yes. completely made sense. So can you tell us what this means to you, what this means to the customer and what this means for the larger retail industry? Yeah. So I think it's, um, I think we have found the right long-term home for happy returns at UPS. Um, I honestly could not be more excited uh, than, than to be a UPSer, uh, which I am now. I call myself a UPSer. Um, you know, I'd say a, a couple big themes. One is, um, you know, our, our physical drop-off network relies on you know, physical stores. Uh, the UPS store is now our largest single partner in the return bar network. And so what that means is over 5,000 UPS store locations Allow happy returns, the you know QR code based drop off, um, and, and five thousand. Yeah, what? there are five thousand wow. UPS store locations, wow. and okay. and they have a very very high net promoter score, um, very high customer satisfaction score, um, and have just been a, a terrific partner uh, for us. And so so we have about ten thousand drop off places around uh, the country. Over half of those are now a UPS store. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 ratings have been great. Um, the fact that UPS store is a longtime partner of Amazon has been terrific because now you can kind of, re- re- you know, combine your Amazon returns with your happy returns in one location. Um, that's been fantastic for us. Yeah. Um, you know, the other huge advantage, you know, we're, we're, we're a, we describe ourselves as a software and logistics company. So what does that mean? That means that a lot of our costs are shipping. And so being owned by a shipping company is a wonderful thing. Um, right. Yes, yeah. Uh, it makes, makes a ton of sense to, you know, just from a consolidation sure. volume perspective and from a, 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 you know, what it costs perspective. Um, and then the last, you know, and certainly not the least is pretty much every retailer that we want to work with has a relationship with UPS yeah. uh, in one way, shape or form. And so, you know, to have, to be acquired by UPS and, and to have the level of enthusiasm and support we have from the UPS executive team um, has just been awesome in terms of our ability to open doors uh, and, and start conversations with merchants. Um, and, and for a long time, you know, we, we positioned happy returns as like the alternative to returns by mail. Well, here's the wonderful thing. Now that we're part of UPS, it's all one product portfolio. Yep. And it really becomes right. not about, um, you know, mail versus in-person drop-off. It's sort of like all those choices are available from one partner to the merchant. And the shopper can choose whatever they want to choose. And, and what we found is that since, you know, since we launched with UPS stores, um, the adoption rate for happy returns has gone up materially. And, and when we talk about adoption rate, we mean, you know, when the shopper is presented with the option to drop off, you know, box free in person uh, versus mailing the item back, um, you know, our adoption rate has, has gone up materially uh, since the acquisition. Um, we think that's a, a big part of that has to do with the fact that, you know, their UPS store locations are so convenient. I mean, you know, just think about yours. I'm sure everybody knows where their UPS store is. Yeah. Um, most people have a very positive uh, experience and impression of, of that. Um, and so it's it's just been great for us from uh, being able to go to the merchant and say, hey, you know, if, if your shoppers want to return by mail, great. UPS offers, yep. they want to drop off in person, box free, great. You know, we offer that through Happy Returns. You know, one product portfolio, one partner to grow with the merchant. Um, and to your question, Shelley, you know, what does it mean for the, the the industry? You know, I think it 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 
and I don't want to speak on behalf of UPS, but you know, to some degree, it's an innovator's dilemma, right? You know, when your business is based on shipping individual items back, something that aggregates those and potentially reduces your you know the, your revenue uh, could be viewed as a threat. I really hand it to UPS management to be forward thinking enough to say, gosh, it's more about making sure that our merchants are thriving, right? And making sure we're delivering experiences for their customers that are delightful. Um, It it really is, it's a hard decision to make to to kind of think that way, but UPS clearly, you know, it's been around for 117 years and they're 117 and, you know, really kind of looks ahead and says, gosh, if we can keep our merchants happy, if we can keep their customers happy, you know, we're going to win in the long run. And and that's what's important. Well, you know, David, obviously you guys work with some pretty powerful brands. Um, can you um, share some of the current partnership that, that you have or, or are working on? Yeah. So, so most of our um, merchants, we work with over 900 merchants today. Uh, the biggest categories for us are apparel and footwear and accessories. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, why Makes sense. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're they're highly penetrated online. You know, a, a big share of, of the purchasing happens online. Um, as we talked about earlier, they also have very uh, endemic return issues, right? So, if you sell shoes online, it's not uncommon to have a return rate of thirty to forty percent. Um, why is that? Well, yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm certainly not going to keep a pair of shoes that's too small, uh, or a pair of shoes that's too big. Um, and so, you know, a lot of those categories have very high return rates. Um, so on the apparel side, you know, we work with companies like Revolve. Um, mm. We work with we worked with Everlane for a long time. Uh, Levi's has been a long term uh, partner of ours. Like think about how hard it is to like get the right pair of jeans. Um, yeah. We work with uh, kind of fast fashion upstarts, uh, companies like Princess Polly, um, oh. uh, True Classic Tees. If you know them, they're growing really materially. Um, on the footwear side, we work with uh, companies like uh, our, one new partner of ours is Reef. Um, the sandals company, mm. Allbirds. We work with Rothies. Um, you know, a couple, a couple other markets that are, for whatever reason, you know, big, big, big customers of ours. And we work with a lot of plus size women's apparel businesses. Um, so Eloquy, if you're familiar with Eloquy, they were mm-hmm. a lot oh, of yeah. customers of ours. Um, you know, they they recently were divested by Walmart and acquired by uh, Full Beauty Brands. Um, so Full Full Beauty owns a whole portfolio of women's and men's plus size apparel. Um, we work with all of those brands. Um, and so so it's, uh, you know, that's another category where there are um, material sizing challenges as you kind of scale up yeah. um, styling. Um, and then for some reason, medical scrubs is another area, like fashionable medical scrubs. So we work with a company called Figs, uh, which is a mm. company, really fast growing business. Um, we work with another company in the space called Janu. Um, next time you go to the doctor, take a look at what, you know, your, your, uh, you know the the doctor or the uh, the nurses are wearing, and chances are it's going to be one of those two brands. Um, so you know, high uh, high growth area. Uh, you know, businesses that you know. I'd say that the thing in common with all of those those brands are um, a lot of their sales happen online, and in some instances, many instances, they don't have uh, a large drop off. You know, a large store network, and so right. a nice complement to that. Yeah. No, that's great. So Everlane was one of your first early adopters. I remember that. And what I find interesting about Everlane is the reasons for their using happy returns, I believe, has more to do with their own brand ethos. What Mm. I mean is Everlane has been a highly sustainable company, and they were actually one of the first retailers to really have transparency in pricing 
and production. So can you help us understand how this consolidated returns really does add to a positive environmental outcome? Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're correct that our ethos as a business is highly aligned with Everlane's and um, you know, it was, it was always for them about customer experience and sustainability, right? And and so, as you point out, you know, a lot of transparency in uh, what materials are used and where they're used. Um, we sort of extend that into their supply chain, specifically the reverse logistics component. Um, so when you drop items off at a happy returns location, they're consolidated. Um, we ship in reusable shipping totes. Um, these, these look like, uh, it's almost like a... Um, like a like a soft beer cooler that you would take to the beach in the summer, um, but boxes that uh, can be um, sort of they fold flat. You know they they open up, we fill them. You know might be twenty items traveling in that tote from twenty different merchants. Um, it'll ship from the drop off point to one of our processing hubs, and then that that box will be you know fl- packed flat and sent back out and reused hundreds of times. Um, wow. And, and in that process, what we're doing is we're eliminating cardboard from the equation, right? And so right. Instead of individual shipments going back in cardboard that goes straight to the landfill, that reusable tote, you know, gets reused and sort of reduces the, the you know, the impact of the materials. Um, by consolidating, by aggregating, we also are uh, reducing the volume of shipments, right? So just think about like 20 boxes going on a truck, um, very inefficient. 20 items packed in a single box, you know, densely packed, far more efficient in terms of, you know, the movement of goods from A to B. Um, and so, yeah, so for Everlane, a big part of, of choosing Happy Returns was this idea of being able to say to their customers, um, you know, sustainability is, is really important to us. It's important in terms of the, the materials we make our goods it, out of, where we make them, uh, how we move them to you, and then how we get them back from you uh, if they don't, you know, if, if you want to return them. And, and so it was a chance to kind of say, Hey, we've we really thought about sustainability all way all the way through the, the customer experience. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say I'll put on my little operations hat and impress you, David, because I spent so many years in operations. But cubing out a truck is very efficient, right? Yes. So these uh, sustainable actions benefit the customers. It benefits the retailers, and you know today's co- consumer is really voting with their you know digital wallet, so to speak, and they really want to help with some of these sustainable actions when they can. So certainly sure. making returns easy for the customer, more eco-friendly, wins my vote. And creating these kind of restrictive return policies, that's only going to alienate customers going forward. But I think asking them to like drop off at a convenient, the key's convenient location, right? Asking them to do just a small part yeah. for that, what you call first mile delivery, what it's the really the reverse of the last mile delivery, if you missed the first part of our podcast, but this really allows the customer to contribute in some small way to a more sustainable solution. So in a blue yonder survey from last year, here's the least popular policy for returns is charging a restocking fee. The second <laughs> least popular policy is the shorter return windows. So yeah. these don't make sense. And we know that customers are making purchasing decisions based on the return policy. So. David, do you have anything you want to add here? Yeah. Well, you know, just point worth pointing out, I've spent a lot of time in many years kind of reading <laughs> studies about return policy and their impact. And mm-hmm. we've always taken the position that, um, you know, the policy decisions are the merchants. 
Uh, what's important from our point of view is that we, via software, uh, are able to to enforce those, right? And so if you say, you know, short return window, you know, say, you know, 14 days, our software will know, you know, the, the, the data was shipped out, what day it is today, calculate those number of days. And if you're inside or outside of that return window, you know, the, it is software that'll enforce that. Um, but one of the one of the points that I, I'll make is um, I remember seeing a study. It was a very exhaustive academic study that looked at <laughs> return rates and return duration. You know, the, the amount the window that you have, and what they found was again very counterintuitive. It was like the longer the you have as a consumer to return an item, the less likely you are to return it. Because what we end up doing mm-hmm. is we oh I have a long time to make that decision, and so they'll you'll live with an item. Right. And I know I have this, like, there are some things in my closet that I know I'm never going to wear it again. Right. <laughs> but I didn't have to make a decision right away. If I had to make yeah. a decision within a week <laughs> or two weeks, I probably would have made it, returned it. But because I had a long time to consider it, I ended up just keeping it. Um, so, you know, but back to your question. I mean, I think, again, I think what's important is communicating clearly upfront so that no one is surprised. Um, you know, I think the intelligent application of return fees to try to encourage behavior, I think, is is what the most forward-thinking merchants are doing. Um, and again, I think, you know, shoppers, yeah, no one likes fees, but I think we're all very reasonable people. Um, and I think we understand that, you know, free returns is, is is you know, it's, it's kind of a funny term, right? There's no free return. It's like there's no free lunch. No free lunch, right? <laughs> yeah, someone's gonna someone's gonna be subsidizing that, and so I think, I think it's just important to be rational in the application of those. Boy, David, I love your comment about a closet full of stuff that uh, <laughs> I I probably have ten closets full of stuff. Um, anyway, that's a, a, a an interesting perspective on the whole return thing. That uh, people just the longer you let them have it, the the more often they're going to probably keep it anyway. So, you know, you've been working on uh, this process uh, what for nearly 10 years. And, uh, you know, now we're seeing more competitors that are starting to offer similar services. So, you know, maybe some retailers think they can do consolidated returns in-house, uh, for example. So tell us about the uh, current reverse logistics industry and if you're concerned about a, a competitive marketplace. Yeah. Well, so I think a competitive marketplace is a sign that we've succeeded, right? Yeah. Because, you know, it, it's um it's very rare. And, and again, this is like a learning for me as a business person. Um, it was a lot easier for us to sell happy returns when there were alternatives. Uh, because you know, then merchants <clears throat> felt like they were choosing the best out of a set when we were the only people doing it. It was hard because it was like, wait, why is there only one of these companies? Um, mm. So I actually welcome the competition. I think it's a good mm-hmm. thing. I think it's healthy. I think it's an acknowledgement that, you know, like the whole premise when we started box free in-person drop-off to a third-party network was crazy, right? People would be like, wait, I'm going to buy a dress and then return it to a makeup store, which today yeah. happens every day, right? People buy dresses on, say, Revolve, and they return to Ulta, which is a partner of ours. And it's a delightful experience and everyone wins. But when we started the company, people thought we were crazy, right? Um, so, you know, fast forward to today, I think having multiple options is is important. Um, I think if anything, it'll it'll help to uh, highlight a lot of the learning um, that's built into to happy returns. Um, 
I think it 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 highlights um, a lot of the things that we do that are are different, right? It's not just about um, you know aggregating the items, right? It, it's also about you have to have the ability to at scale sort the items, right? Because if you if twenty items from twenty different merchants travel together in one tote to a sorting facility, well, you have to have the technology to be able to sort it correctly, to track the progress of those items, uh, to be able to you know, consolidate shipments out to the merchant, be able to push all that data to the merchant. Um, you know, that's all hard won uh, learnings and hard, you know, hard fought uh, technology to develop, to be able to do this at scale. And so I think, um, you know, I, I welcome the competition because I think it gives us a chance yeah. to be differentiated. You know, I'll just tell you, you know, one, one kind of new thing for us that we're spending a lot more time thinking about is fraud. Mm. Um, oh yes. And so we've we've been doing um made a lot of investments last year into item verification. Uh so you know when you do a return with Happy Returns today, you know, you get a QR code for drop-off. Uh, but if you've done one recently, what you'll notice is that the 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 returnistas, that's what we call the, the people who are executing our service inside of, say, like a UPS store or an Ulta or a Staples, um, they're now scanning uh barcode tags on items. And they're they're verifying that the item you're dropping off is actually the thing that you purchased, um, and and this is really helpful in enabling the instant refund, you know, or the instant, mm. uh, you know, exchange order at the point of drop off, because uh, the merchants know that it's actually the item that's coming back. And and the, w- why did we do that? You know, we we created this new step of having to scan tags or workflows if the tags are not available. We did that because of concerns about return fraud, right, and concerns about Items going missing or yeah. you know, $500 black dress, but I'm returning a $50 black dress in the hopes that you know no one is noticing that, right? And it's really about you know fidelity in uh, the the reverse logistics process, um, being able to track items from the point of drop off all the way all the way home. And so, you know, those kinds of innovations are the only you, know, you only get to that when you do this process you know millions of times. Yep. To be able to, to get the kind of learning and the, the number of reps in order to, to be able to introduce something like that. Well, well David, you know, let me David, let me pop in here one second. <laughs> I want you to know it's working. And I'll tell you why it's working. Because although I didn't try to fraud a company, I bought two pair of Allbird shoes. I wanted to return one. I got my return label. I went to the UPS store. I picked up the wrong box. So when I got there, the guy looked at me, looked at the shoe, looked at me and looked at the shoe and said, you know, it's supposed to be green. You know, it doesn't really look green. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I brought the wrong shoe back. I was relieved that you caught it because I would have returned a shoe I wanted. <laughs> that works. Cool. That's fantastic. That's good. And yeah, that's exactly like, what it's supposed to do. And, and, and yeah. it's, you know, there's that. That's terrific. What an awesome story. And I swear we didn't plant that. <laughs> well. You know, I got to make a comment here about uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon. From day one, Jeff Bezos, this is to your point about competition, David. Uh, Bezos said it uh, on day one. He said one of the most important things, he said, we must get big fast. So for a quarter of a century, uh, uh, Amazon uh, burned through money like no tomorrow um, using whatever they were incoming to grow the business in another area. In other words, he realized that the competition was going to be coming behind him real big and fast. And so it, he, they did it. And uh, that's why they're where they are now. 
But anyway, it, it, to kind of wrap it up, Dave, <laughs> I, I said this before, I really salute um, you for naming the business for what it is, Happy Returns, not some buzzy acronym, you know, that people have to figure out what it stands for. It drives me nuts. Um, you know, one really has to wonder, are we seeing the rise of a new language? Anyway, as as the numbers go up, Happy Returns offers positive solutions for both retailers and consumers. And thanks again, David, for your time and your great insights into this uh, pretty new um, new technology. Well, thank you, Robin. And thank you, Shelley. Um, it, was, it was awesome to be here. I really enjoyed our conversation. It's always fun having you here, David. Thank you so much. And for our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and of course, therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media and link in with us for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I want to thank the audience once again as well. And uh, as I do every week, <clears throat> I uh, welcome you, any of you who may have a topic that you would like Shelly and I to cover, uh, just send me an email. Robin at uh, the robinreport.com. And thanks again. Thank you for listening to Retail Unwrapped. We'll be back in one week with another podcast. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast service. If you have questions, ideas for a podcast, or anything else, please contact us via the robinreport.com.